As many of you will be aware, our vision this year as a church is one body, one purpose. Um, A summary of what it says in Ephesians 4.16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. And so it's, it's outworked in, in three ways that we've been exploring recently. Connection, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Discipleship, the body grows and builds itself up in love and extending God's kingdom as each part does its work. And you may find it helpful to watch or re-watch or listen to the talks from March from, from John Wright and Ollie Ryan and John Bodley unpacking these three themes of connection and discipleship and um, extending God's kingdom. But I'm struck by how this year's vision is reflected in a phrase that we often use in the vineyard. That when we are called to follow Jesus, we are called to Christ, his church, and his cause. And over the last couple of months, I've been reflecting on this vision, one body, one purpose, and what does it mean personally for me to be a follower or a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus? You know, where day by day, I desire to be transformed, to be truly changed, and to live and be like Jesus. And often when I think of this notion of being transformed, I think of a well-known short passage in the book of Romans, which is a letter written by Paul, who was an early convert to the Christian church, having previously persecuted the church. He also wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And in the letter, he is talking to the Roman church about God's plan for salvation. And towards the end of the letter, having explained what it is that Jesus has done for us and why, Paul says this at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And um, I've become increasingly aware over recent years of how much I look at life and the Bible through cultural lenses. And one of those cultural lenses is the lens of individualism where I perceive and interpret the world and the Bible through this um, individualistic lens, and therefore limiting lens. And individualism is essentially, it's the freedom of me, the individual, over and above the, the will of the collective or the community. And it permeates subtly every aspect of life and culture and the church and even the sacred world of Disney. And so as I read the passage that I've just read, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I can tend to look through it with this individual lens. So being transformed through my personal prayer life, 
being transformed by my personal reading of the Bible, of Christian books, being transformed through my listening to talks and podcasts online. And these are all ways in which we need to grow, but it's incomplete as a picture. You know, personal prayer and worship and reading the Bible and reading good Christian books and so on is all really important. But today I want to explore the context in which God has designed for this to happen. The context of intentional community. You know, Jesus' plan is and always has been that we would be transformed through intentional community. And so I want to share today some of my understanding from the Bible about what being transformed through intentional community looks like. And as I do that, I want to invite you to ask yourself a question. If the goal is transformation through intentional community, what does that mean for me? What does it mean in terms of how I approach Sundays? What does it mean in terms of how I see small group? What does it mean in terms of how I look at giving or serving? What does it mean in terms of the things that I love about church? Possibly more importantly, what does it mean about the things that annoy or frustrate me about church? And what does it mean about what I even see the church as meaning or being? And so in exploring what it means to be transformed through intentional community, I first of all want to reflect on this. We find a vision of the transformed life through intentional community. You know, it's through the community of the church that we see and get a glimpse of what the transformed life looks like. That simultaneous call to Christ, his church, and his cause It's interesting that when you look in the book of John, John 13, Jesus said this to his disciples. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The visible sign of transformed lives is through our love one for another. And it's interesting that when you then go to Romans, back to Romans 12, that we see this vision of love laid out immediately following where Paul urges us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so what I want to do is just spend a couple of minutes reading some of the rest of Romans 12 to you. And I want to invite you, if you're comfortable doing so, you may want to close your eyes, but but what I want you to do is to be able to receive this as not my words, but as God's word to you today in the context of this community of faith, of which you are a valued part. If you're new here today, you're welcome to be part of this community. So maybe let's just close our eyes together and listen and receive God's word. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live live at peace with everyone. What vision of life are you and I pushing into? What version of the good life do we buy into? Is it this life of love, one for another? Well, we might say, we are each a member of the body, each with our own unique gifts, where we belong to one another, where we're devoted to one another, where we honour one another above ourselves, where we, together we're joyful in hope and patient in affliction where we're faithful in prayer, where we share with those in need, where we practice hospitality, where we bless those who persecute us and rejoice together and mourn together, where we live in harmony, where no person is seen as better than any other, where we do not seek revenge, where we, where we seek to do what is right and where possible we live at peace with everyone. Now, I want to suggest that that is a pretty good vision of what our transformed selves might look like. About a month ago, I was on a retreat time with a number of people from church. We're all serving in the same area of ministry. And in the group of about a dozen or so people, there was a mix mix of ages and life experience and ethnic background and range of roles and responsibilities and seniority. And an invitation had gone out a few days before for each of us to come ready to share something of our story, to share for about five minutes or so. Anyway, we all all came, and over the next four hours, nearly, it went on longer than anticipated. One after the other, we shared our stories with one another. 
stories of life before and after coming to know Jesus, sharing about ongoing personal challenges and struggles and something of what Jesus is doing in our lives at the moment. And it was a profound and deeply humbling time together because it was a time where we honoured one another in listening to our stories. And it was only the day before that I'd sat in a meeting and I was doodling and I doodled this, this phrase, intentional community. And for me, as I reflected on that time together, that was intentional community in practice. John Wimber, the, the founder of the, the Vineyard Movement, often used to say words to this effect, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. You know, we're all changed as we step into this life of love together. God's vision is that we would be a people that the world looks at and says they're different. They live differently. A place where we are marked by our devotion to one another, regardless of background, regardless of history or circumstances. A place where those of all backgrounds, all circumstances, all races and cultures love and embrace one another. In an article in The Spectator in December 2020, following the fall from grace of yet another celebrity pastor, the journalist Ben Sixsmith wrote this. I am not religious so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. See, we find a vision of the transformed life through intentional community. Secondly, we work out the transformed life through intentional community. Jesus' command to his disciples recorded in John 13 to love one another and then his declaration that people would know that they were his disciples by, by their love one for another was simply the natural extension of Jesus' plan for transformation that had begun with them, with his disciples. And so as we read in the, in the four Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, we see how Jesus gathered his disciples. So he went round, and initially he just invited people in ones and twos to follow him. And then a while later it was that in Luke chapter 6, it's after a time of prayer that Jesus went into that he narrowed the group down to, a, to, to the 12 that we hear of today that he was particularly going to invest in and spend the most time with. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
Jesus deliberately chose as his core group of disciples those who were so different to one another, those who would not see eye to eye, who would each have to go through their own journey of change in and around all the others. So, for example, there was James and John. They were known as the sons of thunder, most likely because of their quick temper. There was Peter, who was impetuous and boastful, and who, in the midst of his bravado, would then go on and deny Jesus. There was Judas Iscariot, who was a thief. There was Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor of the Jewish people, with a history, a personal history, of exploiting those around him. And in the mix of that, Jesus chose Simon the Zealot, someone who would have been vehemently opposed to the Roman authorities and to the traitors within his own community, just like Matthew. This was Jesus' design to take a group of polar opposites and to change them through their daily walk with him, with Jesus and with one another, where each day they were confronted by their envy and their anger and their impatience and their prejudice and their resentment and their pride. And it's been the same through the 2,000 years that has followed since, that every follower of Jesus is invited into a space of transformation through intentional community. It's the same for you, it's the same for me. You know, how much of the transformation that has taken place and is still taking place in me has, has Jesus chosen to make it rooted in this place of intentional community? as my insecurities and all the stuff that's in me rises to the surface, as I engage with others, as other people annoy me and offend me and frustrate me and trigger me in so many ways. And I may be that gift to some of you here today, you know. But you might be here today for the first time, and you're, and you're saying, well, how do I... Um, or you've been coming a while, and you think about, how do I become a member here? And we talk about membership here as participation. So participation in what we do, coming on a Sunday, getting involved in a small group, finding an area to serve maybe once a month, give a portion of your income, and if you're in a church at the moment, um, seeking the blessing of the leadership before you leave. Five things. But I tend to say to people that there is a sixth and a key element to membership here. And it's this. Get offended and stay. Get offended and stay. You see, the church isn't and never has been a provider of spiritual goods and services. God's design for the church is that it is a community of faith where you and I are formed into the likeness of Jesus. And that happens as we come up against and spend time in the company of others. And some of those people may upset us and offend us, and the question at that point is, will we choose to stay? To stay and work it through. To stay and ask God the question, what is it is that you are revealing in me through this? to stay and enter into intentional community with, with others who think and look and see life and maybe behave differently to me. 
It's often that our impatience or our motivation or insecurity or our attitude, they're exposed internally or externally in the company of others. Last week, it was the vineyard leaders gathering in, in, this, in this room. And um, there was one point where I was, I was there, I was, I was serving on team in the first part of the week, and at the end of one of the sessions, I was engaging in some high-visibility service, emptying the bins. Hoovering's another good high-visibility service. So anyway, I took the bag out of the bin, I replaced it with another bag, and then I turned around to tie up, tie up my bag, and as I was doing so, a woman came forward and had the audacity to put a cup in my clean bin. And I instinctively, to my shame, I snapped at her and said, don't put it in there. And she looked embarrassed, and I was mortified, and I apologized profusely, and she was very gracious. After all, we were at a Christian conference. And I am still mortified repeating that story today. But the reality is that it's in the company of and in relationship with others that our mixed motivations, they come to the surface They're often hidden to others, but they're known to God. And so God starts to reveal and unpick and press into our envy and our anger and our impatience and our irritation and our prejudice and our resentment and ultimately our pride. And the truth is that you and I are each a work in progress and each with a daily choice to step into that journey of transformation. There's a danger, you see, that at the point where the Holy Spirit prods us about something, about our actions and our thoughts, that we think that something has gone drastically wrong. But when Jesus sees that, he just looks and he says, I think we're on track. You know, but as I look at Jesus and his disciples, I'm not just challenged by the fact that they were being transformed in intentional community. I'm far more challenged by the fact that they were transformed through transparent community. Where their faults and their failings and their brokenness were seen by others. So if you think of someone like Peter, who's in, uh, lots of accounts of him in the New Testament. One of those 12 disciples, his successes and his failures were lived out before others. You know, as he he confessed Jesus to be the Christ, as he walked on water, as he declared that even if everyone else deserted Jesus, he would not. As Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him. As he went on to deny Jesus. As he endured the shame of having denied Jesus. And then as Jesus lovingly restored him, but in that declaring that to continue to follow him, Peter would go on and have to lay down his life. All of this, as we look in the the New Testament, all of this took place in the company of others. What does that evoke in you in this moment? The invitation to be transformed through intentional and transparent community. For some, it may excite you, but for many of us, it will bring hesitation or fear or even bring to the surface past hurt, where the words from Romans 12 
We belong to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to be devoted to one another are a fearful thing. Especially for those of us who have previously been on the receiving end of abuse or controlling behaviors inside or outside the church. It can take time to build that trust with one another, to step into that mutual love, that mutual accountability. But in Jesus, we have a model of how we can do it. How day by day and step by step, we're invited into lives of preferring one another. Demonstrated by Jesus symbolically and actually as he knelt at the feet of those that he led and washed their feet. That's how we do it, one day at a time. And so I'd really encourage you to take maybe just one step into spaces of intentional community in the coming days. It may be to commit to regularly coming on a Sunday. It may be to get involved in a small group. It may be to get involved in an area of service or to look at giving. But it may be that you're doing some or all of these things, but there's something internally that's holding you back from still stepping in intentionally. It may be that you might consider getting together with one or two, two people regularly to intentionally explore this stuff. How am I doing about being transformed? It's something I started doing over the last couple of years with, with, a, with a friend of mine, and we specifically talk about this every time we come together. It may be choosing to come together and explore faith with others through the Alpha Course. Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, summarized it this way. The great flaw of our search for spirituality and faith, minus church, is the unconfronted life. Without church, we we have more private fantasy than real faith. Real conversion demands that eventually its recipient be involved in both the muck and the grace of actual church life. More than ever, we need the limitations and the glorious messiness of church. Last week, I was reminded of what the journey of spiritual formation amounts to. Spiritual formation is the lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's the lifelong process of the kingdom of God expanding within us. And so God's invitation to each of us is to find a vision of the transformed life through intentional community and to work out the transformed life through that intentional community.